Welcome to Murder, She's Saying, the podcast that reclaims the true stories behind America's murder ballads. I'm Andrea Peterson, uh, and I am the only person who works on this as of right now. Uh, so sorry for our tiny hiatus. I had normal life stuff that I was dealing with, like I'm still in the midst of a house renovation and I have a real job, uh, all these other things. Uh, but if you are just starting to listen now, you should stop and go to the beginning because we are telling one continuous story about the murder of Laura Foster, which is the basis of the folk song, Tom Dooley. And it will not make a lot of sense if you start here. Uh, well, it'll still make some sense, but not like a huge amount. Uh, and I can't promise it'll make too much more if you start at the beginning, but it'll definitely make more than if you start here. <laughs> and here is where we're going to start. We're going to start about talking about place and location and where the story takes place. And that is North Carolina, particularly in this little corner in the mountainous region where three counties intersect, Wilkes, Caldwell, and Watuga. And by the time this happened in 1866, the indigenous people had pretty much been entirely replaced by a few generations of colonizers, mostly of English and uh, Northern European in origin. And the descendants, the Dooley, is the Fosters, the Meltons, are really the main characters in this story. But I also want to make sure we paint a picture of where they lived because I feel like without that context, it's really hard to understand who these people were. Uh, and before we get into that, I want to talk about how I think it's really important to acknowledge that I haven't been there yet. <laughs> Uh, I'm giving you a narrative about a place that I've been reading a lot about and awkwardly stalking on Google Maps, but I, I have not actually physically been to this area, and I feel a lot of anxiety about that, uh, and I'm planning on fixing it. I'm making concrete plans uh, to go out there, actually, uh, potentially later this month, but also at least out in... Uh, May of 18th for Tom Dooley Day and Southern Cultural Festival uh, at the Whippoorwill Academy and Village. The Whipper is uh, also the home of a Tom Dooley Museum that I want to check out and sort of a hub of research and history around the mythos of Tom Dooley. Obviously, we here at the pod are more on Team Foster uh, than Team Dooley, but I think it'll be a really interesting experience and opportunity to hang out and meet people down there and get to know the living history of a thing that I'm doing a sort of academic, but also deeply personal and self-reflective uh, <laughs> bit of research on. Um, and as we sort of 
go down that road, I want to talk about what life actually was like for folks in uh, 1866 in uh, Wilkes and Watuga and the Caldwell counties, and also about some of the people that we aren't really talking about on a lot of the story, but who matter a lot, which is, is uh, the formerly enslaved and newly free population and sort of what the demographics of this area looks like in the context of the Civil War, because much like we are on Team Foster here, we are also on Team Union. Um, so that's that's just the way that it is, and I'm not going to justify it. I think it's the right way to be. Uh, so saying that, I also want to acknowledge that I think you can fall into a lot of traps when talking about rural areas. Uh, and I say that as a person who is from a rural area. <laughs> I'm from Kansas, if you couldn't tell by my Twitter handle and Instagram handle, which is Kansas Alps, I remind the pod. Uh, and definitely that comes through in a lot of the gonzo style journalism that you see in the around this area uh, that was then the Happy Valley uh, along the Yadkin River. Uh, the town where Dooley lived was called Elkville. Uh, at the time, and still is uh, Wilkes, although the area is now called Ferguson. Uh, there's a lot of name changes, and actually, uh, in some of these areas, the county borders changed a lot, not directly in the time we're talking about, but in like the immediate few decades before, so it's very... Uh, it's a little complicated, to be honest with you, uh, and I'm not going to pretend to do all of it. It... Uh, complete justice and I may ramblingly uh, misplace something in one county or the other uh, know that I feel bad about it and I will try my best to be as accurate as I can uh, but also that I'll also throw some maps up on the website so you can see sort of what the contemporary geography looked like at the time and there's also a map from the actual uh, trial documents that I will throw up as well. So, and with that, I want to also talk about uh, how this region was reflected in contemporary newspaper reports and read uh, part of one that I know I've referenced before, but I think it's still worth talking about, uh, the New York Herald report from May of 1868, so just after Julie's execution. The community in the vicinity of this tragedy is divided into two entirely separate and distinct classes, the one occupying the fertile lands adjacent to the Yadkin River and its tributaries is educated and intelligent, and the other, living on the spurs and ridges of the mountains, is ignorant, poor, and depraved. A state of immorality unexampled in the history of any country exists among these people, and such a general system of free loveism prevails that is a what is a child that knows its father. So yeah, that's super judgy. <laughs> um, uh, 
and also sort of reflects the way that social mores were reflected in contemporary media of the trial, but also tells you a lot about the economic situation uh, that we are talking about the post-Civil War construction era. So we've got people who have often gone off to fight for the Confederacy and come back and lost and found that what they consider their property, you know, people, uh, was no longer there and there was a kind of a dist a change in the economic behavior where a lot of, instead of relying on enslaved labor, they were hiring uh, poor or white people from the hill country, including sort of Dooley's class, which were sort of like, based on uh, local records, landed, but not like super landed, like had, like, rel like landed yeoman farmer, but not, um, and Dooley's family had owned some slaves in the past based on the records um, that I have been looking at. Uh, but not, like, this particular branch wasn't, like, full plantation. Uh, and in fact, I one of the other documents that I want to talk about is the map produced by the U.S. government based on slavery data from the 1860 census. Um, which I'm going to throw up on the website as well uh, and hone in on uh, both, well, not both, all three Caldwell, Wilkes, and Watonga counties and talk about how they actually had slightly lower rates of enslavement, enslaved population uh, than the rest of uh, like the mountainous regions just generally uh, had less wealth and in this economic system wealth really re translated to humans that you owned which is a really horrific fact that we don't talk about enough uh, and we are still dealing with all of the economic fallout and repercussions of right now uh, and i'm hoping to do another episode where i get deeper into that here later in the season, but I want to bring in some other voices so it is not just me, anxious white person, rambling about race. Um, I want to acknowledge I think it's important that anxious white people ramble about uh, race and their guilt and acknowledge their privilege, um, but also that I think a lot of that should be raising up other people's voices, not just my own. Ooh, okay, heavy. Um, I also want to call sort of attention to another piece of New York reporting about this area, uh, actually from 2016. It's a sort of story from the New York Times about, like, is it's just like a scene from a vape shop, uh, which I thought was really interesting and also tells you a lot about how these kind of places are often portrayed in national media, and I want to be really careful and respectful about it. And I also noticed that the person's name is Foster, and I don't know if there's any sort of relation there. And I will probably try and weirdly dig around about that. Um, 
uh, one of the people that he talked about anyways. Uh, I think it's really worth thinking through the economics of a lot of what's happening here. And I'm going to read a little bit about that from that New York Times story right now as I pull it up with my browser. Okay, the headline of this New York Times article is literally feeling let down and left behind with little hope for better. Uh, subheading, in a moment riddled with economic and social worries, an e-cigarette shop in Wilkes County, North Carolina is an oasis for some young Appalachians. Uh, and it's, it's pretty bleak. Uh, it's pretty bleak and pretty recognizable for me um, because I also come from uh, not Appalachia, but from Midwestern roots with a lot of small towns that are disappearing. Um, and I, I want to pull out this description of Wilkes County that I think paints a really interesting like a really, oh god, that's a lot of likes. I want to pull out this description of Wilkes County that I think is really telling about the economic situation. Wilkes County, with a population of nearly 69,000, has felt those stings more than many other places. The textile and furniture industries have been struggling here for years, and the recession and the loss of the Lowe's headquarters have helped drive down the medium household income. That figure fell by more than 30% between 2000 and 2014 when adjusted for inflation. The second steepest decrease in the nation, and according to an analysis of census data by the Pew Charitable Trusts. Still, the regulars does the tapering vapor overwhelmingly white, mostly working class, and ranging from their 20s to middle age, provide a hay-shrouded snapshot of an anxious nation navigating an election year fueled by disquiet and malaise. Uh, and you gotta remember this was in uh, May of 2016, <laughs> so we didn't know. Uh, little did we know what was to come, America. <laughs> Yet, yeah, I think it really made me think about uh, both the economic and racial divides that still exist now uh, in that little bit of description and the ones that we know happened in 1866 because like literally this is a place where a bunch of people including Tom Dooley just went to fight for the right to keep slaves. <laughs> um, so that's comp. Actually, it's not complicated. That's it's just awful. Uh, but to say it's complicated. It's not complicated. It's just gross. It's just bad. Um, but it's also part of people's family and personal histories, and that makes it very complicated for I think a lot of people, even if it's not necessarily a complicated issue, which is, I guess, what I was trying to get at. Um, yeah, this one's gotten uh, pretty dark, and it's going to keep getting dark because it's about murder, so I don't know what else you expected from the show. Um, but in that vein, 
uh, Wilkes County and like Whippoorwill Academy and Village. Their uh, Tom Dooley Day has really sort of made a little like cottage industry out of the tourism related to the song. And I can't say that I necessarily blame them, but I do think that it's worth talking about like who they're celebrating and how well, they're celebrating and how people like me can interpret it uh, from afar and whether or not that's just me having a really tabloid fixation with the pain and history of these places. But I think that on the net, it's worth more talking about those stories and finding ways to uplift less known narratives because when you talk about those stories, you're able to better understand the world around you and the history and forces that shape it. So that's kind of where I am here as a human, uh, and I'm going to keep doing this. I am going to get down there soon so I feel less like a weird tourist about this all. Uh, I'm looking forward to reaching out and actually like emailing and making phone calls and doing more interviews as part of the podcast because I'm actually a reporter in my day job. So I should bring some of that in here and make this less of a weird audio diary. Unless you guys are really into the Andrea Peterson feminist audio zine diary format, but I think it'll be cooler when I bring in some other things. And on that front, I'm going to bring in a little bit of something else here that shows you that this wasn't always a really dark place, um, that there are also times when th this community has been really prosperous, uh, with the caveat that always that prosperity has limited impact and we need to, it's worth thinking about who benefited from that prosperity and at whose cost, uh, but because this is from essentially like the Jim Crow pre-civil rights era. Uh, but it is a some audio from a uh, public interest documentary that describes Will County as this progressive magical place. And I think it's a fitting place to end the show on. corner of the progressive state of North Carolina, there is a booming, prosperous county named Wilkes. Its lands are varied and attractive. The climate is ideal, and the brushy mountain section is in that freak of nature area, the thermal belt, where frosts are unknown, a fact which accounts for the county's preeminence in apple production. Yes, Wilkes County is one of the best rounded in the state, being first in poultry products, apple growing, and in lumber. Oh, you made it past the audio. Okay, um, if you're still listening, here are some updates and a reminder that you can always follow me on Twitter or Instagram where I am Kansas Alps, like the state and the mountain range, all one word. Uh, we're also at www.murdershesang.com or www.playinggreatproductions.com if you want to also see about my art and other weird painting stuff. We are also doing another live show. If you are in DC, come out. Uh, it's going to be essentially what the live show episode of this was, but we might even throw in a new song. Who knows? Uh, and that's with my band Mid Mountain. Uh, it is going to be at Right Proper Brookland uh, in Washington, D.C. There's a Facebook event. You can search and find it, I am sure, and I will throw a link on the website. 
Um, you're playing with Elkhorn and literals, and it's going to be just a lot of like weird fun. It's going to be, I think, a $10 suggested cover and start around 7.30, so that's around, you should show up at 7.30 and hang out. It'll be fun. <laughs> uh, again, April 17th. Uh, oh, also, I'm doing a thing called Hat Band, where I make a random band with other people who are interested in starting a band. We're called Interrobang. Uh, and it's super, super fun, and it is a benefit show for Girls Rock DC, which is a nonprofit that does a summer camp that teaches girls how to make their own bands, and it is adorable. And obviously, you'll be coming in watching me and other adults play, so our stuff is not as good as when the kids do it, but it'll still be really, really fun. And I don't remember all the details of the show, but it is May 4th, and I will put a link to it on the website. All right, uh, this has been Murder, She Sang, uh, a Playing Great production by Andrea Peterson, and I'm going to stop rambling right now. Whippoorwill Academy and Village. Whippoorwill Academy and Village. Whippoorwill Academy and Village.